Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to talk about some controversial things today. Uh, one of them is uh, this: uh, these events that we see around the world where uh, armed gunmen break into schools and start killing small children that sometimes they don't even know. Now, sometimes uh, we hear that uh, it's a former student that uh, wants to wreak revenge upon the teachers and the classmates. But often, it's total strangers to the school who don't even know these small children. I mean, in one of the recent events, we see, you know, small, you know, young, very young students who haven't had any interaction with the murderer being shot brutally down, just tore to shreds. In many cases, before they come, they kill their mothers. I talked about an incident in England where they have gun control, where somebody owned guns, and he killed his mother, and he went out and started killing just random people that would come down the street, was able to do it for hours and hours and hours, and kill these people, because nobody could stop him, because nobody had guns. Even the local constable didn't have guns. Uh, It was a small village, so they had to get somebody to come from a nearby village (laughs) <laughs> or nearby town with a gun to stop this guy because nobody could get near him without him shooting them. And uh, so, what do you do? Uh, you cannot make guns go completely out of existence. They're around. They're here to stay. It's it, They're not going to go away because of the fact that you don't like guns. And so, if you unarm everybody, they become defenseless. You are putting people in a dangerous position by taking away their guns. We live 75 miles from the nearest police station. There was actually a burglary out here. Uh, by uh, It was committed by the son of a former reserve deputy for the police. And uh, he had been casing and got in mixed up with other uh, young people and not so young people in uh, uh, a distant town and said, oh, we can go out there to where I used to live, and I know where everybody lives, and I know who's out of town, and we can just rob people. And that's what they do. They'd rob people who were not at home. And they would break in and and uh, steal as much stuff as they could. And just destroy stuff, unnecessarily. Just because they could do it. Because there was nobody home. And they didn't worry when there was nobody home. But uh, the fact is, is you know, there's a the phrase "there's nobody home" is often you know like his elevator doesn't go all the way up. There's nobody home upstairs. Uh, the person's not thinking, and of course, that's what's happening in America. That they are emboldened by the fact that we can go into this house or that house, and they don't have guns. Except for in most cases, burglars don't know who has the guns. They don't know who can defend themselves. They may not know who's even home. And so, they might knock on your door and pretend to be a salesman, and then if you don't come to the door, then they bust in. 
But uh, if you're home, they are not coming in because you might have a gun. You might be able to shoot them, cause pain. <laughs> but in these gun-free zones, which schools have become gun-free zones, some of the malls have become gun-free zones, some of the places where they have stores, they call them gun-free zones, no guns are allowed. The owners of the stores can't have guns. The teachers can't have guns. The faculties can't have guns. They can't bring them on. Even if they've had police training, even if they've had military training, know how to use a weapon, they can't bring them on. Because zero tolerance. Zero tolerance. If your children are going to a public school with zero tolerance, that they don't allow the teachers to arm, you should get together with as many parents as you possibly can and formally protest by saying we're removing our children until you have adequate, adequate protection for the safety and well-being of our children. Because we see your policy of zero tolerance as a danger, a, a neglect of the safety of our children. You need to change your policy. It would be great if you did that. It would even be better if you just took your kids out of school altogether because there's other dangers lurking in those public schools and maybe we can get around to that. But this zero tolerance, you need to speak out against it. You know, as when they hijacked the planes... Uh, was supposedly with box cutters, you know, or what have you. Uh, you could have prevented that. When everybody got on the plane, you gave everybody a box cutter. Everybody on the plane gets a box cutter. And, you know, maybe a couple of band-aids, because somebody's not going to know how to handle a box cutter, and they're going to cut themselves. <laughs> but if everybody had a box cutter, those guys couldn't have got away with that. And if you had the mindset that somebody is holding a woman and holding uh, you know, a razor to her throat, threatening to kill her, he's already forfeited his life. You should, you should stand up, walk towards him, and ta disarm him and beat the tar out of him if you have to. Now, people didn't do it because they, oh, just cooperate. Cooperate? Why? Why, why are you negotiating with terrorists? You're saying it's okay to be a terrorist as long as I'm safe in my seat and we get down on the ground. But that wasn't supposedly their intent if that's really what took place. But the point is the scenario is, is ludicrous. There, you know, there's, I've flown on some of those planes. Uh, that was a peculiar thing is that it wasn't full. But still there's hundreds of people normally on those planes. And... Uh, and they couldn't have stopped these few guys with box cutters? Well, they didn't try. They they didn't think, you know, they, they thought we would be safer. That woman up there, she's not going to be safer. But we would be safer. And why, why were they able to do this? Because you disarmed the pilots. Zero tolerance. The pilots cannot arm themselves. It was suggested right away. Allow the pilots to arm themselves. Most of the pilots have military experience. They're Air Force people prior to becoming a pilot. They can take extra training. I mean, they already know how to fly a jet. They ought to be able to handle a gun. You could uh, load the guns with uh, 
rubber bullets if you wanted. Or, you know, non-penetrating bullets that aren't going to go through the fuselage. And uh, you could do all kinds of things. You can put birdshot in them. But uh, whatever you do, don't tell the world, except for the fact that you have allowed your pilots to be armed. So they know that it isn't just getting the cockpit door open. We have to get into the cockpit. We have to get into the cockpit and maintain control without getting shot ourselves. Suddenly, you have a huge deterrent. But once you take the guns away from the pilots and say, oh no, you can't have guns. I mean, if they wanted to commit suicide and kill all the people, they just nose the plane down. They don't need a gun. So why not let them have a gun? They're not a threat or a danger. They're already exercising tremendous responsibility in handling the plane to begin with. If they're not mentally stable to handle the plane, you know, or handle a gun, why are you giving them the plane? It's insane. Arm the pilots. Simple as that. But they, they can't see it because there's a cognitive dissonance. There's something else going on here, folks, that they cannot see that that's insane. They're taking the guns away from teachers who would be perfectly competent in handling that gun and could have kept those children safe. They could have kept those children safe. It might not have even happened. On Straight Talk, uh, which we have before this show, I was I was explaining, you know, the, the fact is, is that you, you have advertised to the world under some sort of delusionary concept that we have gun-free zones in our schools to make our children safer. When you advertise to the world that there are no guns at our school, there are no guns allowed on our campus, a crazed killer is going to go where? Did, did you hear about the crazed killer shooting at the local rifle range? No, you didn't hear about that, huh? That's because it didn't happen. They didn't go there. Did you hear about the crazed killer that went to the gun show? And tried to shoot it out with everybody at the gun show? Oh, you didn't hear about that? That's because it didn't happen. They didn't go there. They didn't go down to the police shooting range. They didn't go there either. Where'd they go? Gun-free zones. Gun-free zones. Because those people are stupid enough to say, we have disarmed ourselves and we have no means to protect ourselves or the children here, so you can come in and kill as many innocent people as you want. That is what they have announced to the world. And that is what you are saying with your gun-free zones. You can say, oh no, that isn't our intent. Well, that's what you're doing. That is what you're doing. You're announcing to every maniac in the world, every Satan-possessed murderer who wants to kill as many people as he can before he dies, that you can come to our school and kill our children, and we won't do anything but let you kill us. That's what you're saying. And every parent, every single parent that sends their child to a school that is a gun-free zone, if your children are killed, you are to blame. You are to blame. Their blood is on your head. It's called criminal 
negligence. You knew you had a dangerous situation and you put your children in it. With no means of self-defense. No means of protection. How could you do that? Cognitive dissonance. Somehow or other, common sense can't get into your brain. Because you have to believe that you're doing the right thing. And so therefore, when the evidence arrives that you are doing a bad thing, you say, oh, I can't accept the fact that I did a bad and stupid thing, so it must be those banana clips that are in those assault rifles. It must be their fault. It must be these uh, NRA guys. Why aren't they just content with duck hunting and deer hunting? Why do they have to have... You don't need these guns for duck hunting. You don't need these guns to hunt deer. Nobody needs that gun. That's what you hear them say. Anybody who says that, you have, you have just heard from the mouth of somebody suffering from cognitive dissonance. They cannot see the truth. They will not see the truth because if they were to see the truth, they would see what cowards, lazy cowards they are. I mean, the fact that you're sending your kids to public school at all is an indictment because they don't get a good education there. No, they don't get a good education there. They don't get a good education there. It's the best education your tax dollars can buy and the tax dollars of your neighbors can buy. But it's not a good education. Read our our books on schools to fool or schools as tools. It goes under both names. It's all over the place. And we've had shows on that. Maybe we'll talk about that later. But the fact is is that there's a serious problem where you are unarming your teachers. You're unarming the faculty. Many of them who are extremely competent in the handling of firearms. You could bring those firearms. I mean, you want. I heard people say, oh, we don't arm the teachers. We'll get a security guard. You know, most of your security guards are barely making minimum wage. They make a little bit more. I remember when I was a security guard, I was working, and all of a sudden I was going to become an armed security guard. I got a nickel an hour raise because I was going to carry a gun. You know how much training I got in the gun? Here, Here's the gun. That's what they did. They handed me the gun. 38, no training whatsoever. That's what happens. They're... The, it, it's okay. It's oh well. We have to be more stringent. We have to make more rules. Somebody who has a college degree, supposedly intelligent enough to teach your children, your high school students, your your college students, these are intelligent. Supposedly the 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 smartest and brightest teachers that you could find anywhere for the salaries that they make. Far more than the security guard's going to get. But they can't handle a gun. They can't handle a tool like that. They can't put it in their pocket. And we have somebody who comes to church every Sunday. I know he's got a gun in his pocket. He's got a nice little small revolver he carries in his pocket. 
there's somebody in the church that is armed. I mean, I've I've seen rifles in the local church. <laughs> They're actually trading guns after church. <laughs> uh, okay, it was a it was a 1864 uh, trap lock <laughs> trap door uh, gun, but it was still a gun. It was a rifle. They had it there. And uh, but. Uh, in that community, there's probably several other people in this community who have guns in their pockets, or at least out in their car. Uh, so they're in guns far, far away anywhere in this community, and it's a safe community. I was pointing out earlier on Straight Talk that they're in the the nearest town, because uh, the town that we live in isn't really a town, and we don't really live in town anyway. I mean, there's been more people living at my house than in town at times. Uh, uh, but anyway, the nearest town, about 40 miles away, where they have a school, they haven't had a shooting, armed robbery kind of event there since 1957. And the two guys who were committing the robbery at gunpoint, one of them shot a local guy in the back as he's walking down the street and then fled. And that guy ended up dying there on the street. But they didn't make it to the next town. They didn't make, which was our direction. By the time they got near our town, there was a string of cars and guns across the highway waiting for them. And they turned around and went the other way. And the men pursued. And the first time they shot back at the men, somebody dropped them. The other one fled into the woods. And was eventually found by a deer hunter and marched to the police where he was arrested and tried and uh, executed. And he didn't kill anybody else after that. But in your schools, you can't do that. You can't stop a guy. Because you're not allowed to have a gun. You're incompetent. You're not the government. They are. You're not the home of the brave and the land of the free. You're the home of the cowards and the lazy and then not free. And you live by the sword. You don't have one, but you live by one. You simply ask the men who call themselves benefactors to take away from your neighbor at the point of the gun, even rob widows and orphans with inheritance tax, so that you can have all the benefits that you want from government. That is actually the antithesis of what Christ taught and what the early church was doing. That's the exact opposite. That is actually making the word of God to none, none avail. Yet, some of you think you're Christians. The pagans weren't even that bad. As bad as you've gotten. You are ripe for the worst kind of tyranny and dictatorship you could possibly imagine. The same thing that you saw in Germany, in the Soviet Union, in uh, Popat, today, in all these countries where there were mass murders, right after they confiscated the guns from the people. Now, like I said, you could I can send you pictures all over the net of armed soldiers in uniforms given to them by the government with guns given to them by the government, including assault rifles, shooting women and children in the back of the head unarmed women and children and innocent men in the back of the head and dumping their bodies in mass graves. 
That's the photographs we have of those events. Those are actual photographs of those events. Some in full color. We have those for you to see. Because they actually photographed it with impunity. Because the people didn't have guns. They couldn't defend themselves. America, the people could defend themselves. I am only shocked in America at the fact that less than half the people have guns. Less than half the households have guns. That's insane. You are cowards. Even Christ said, if you don't have a sword, sell your coat and go get one. Why? Because he wasn't a man of peace? He was a man of peace. He would even die rather than ask for the help of Rome to protect him from those murderers who had taken over the Sanhedrin. And that's what that's where you are at today. Is you you have a nation that would disarm you. And, and don't love you. Love the power that they have. I don't care if you're in England or in the United States or in Canada or Australia. I'm talking to all of you. You're cowards. You put your children in harm's way. You unarm your teachers and tell the world that they can go to your schools and kill whoever they want. Because we're not going to offer any resistance. We're not going to allow our teachers to even protect our own children. This is where you you don't need the news media to tell you this. Even though I'm going to tell you it. If your children, if your nieces, if your nephews are going to schools with zero tolerance policies... Where they will not arm the teachers, you could get you should get your children out of those schools, and you should bug your your brothers and sisters that send them to those schools and say, "How can you be so heartless? How can you be so negligent? How can you be so uncaring for the safety of your children that you would put them in a gun-free zone?" With nobody to protect them and then advertise to the world that crazies can't get around all the schools. They can't get to them all. There there are so many of them. But they will. Because the crazies are getting more and more power all the time. We are living in an insane world. How many children died last year as a result or the year before that or the year before that or for the last decade? How many children have died because of bullets? Because of bombs? In the hands of men who don't care about them. Well, many, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands. And many of those bombs and bullets were fired out of American guns and planes and drones 
And it still goes on today. And we'll talk more about this and the dangers that you are facing in a world unarmed and dangerous. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. We're talking about this unarmed and dangerous Christ was very, you know, I've had people try to explain away the fact that Jesus says if you don't have a sword, uh, go and sell your coat and get one. And they they have tried everything they can to say that Jesus was not telling his men, his apostles, to be armed. They tried to say, well, that was an eating implement. Uh, you know, it's not a butter knife. Shortly after that, Peter cuts a guy's ear off with it. Uh, they tried to say that oh, it was only for that particular moment, so that they would be counted as uh, as some sort of militant group. Uh, well, they didn't run out that night and go get a sword. Uh, he's telling them that they need to be armed to to protect themselves and the innocent from unnecessary. Maliciousness. Now, he wasn't a man of violence. He was a man of peace. But if you will not arm yourself, like I've said this many times, and if you will not arm yourself, if you will not take the time to learn how to be armed and protect yourself and protect your neighbor, don't you dare call 911 when somebody's attacking or robbing you. Don't you dare. You are a shameful, cowardly individual. The right to bear arms is the responsibility to bear arms. And and this is why I left police work. I was in police work and I saw that I was protecting people who did not come and back you up. You weren't adding an extra level of protection to people who needed protecting. You were allowing cowards and lazy people to feel safe and secure. Cowards and lazy people should not feel safe and secure. And you should not make them feel safe and secure. You should make them feel like the cowards they are. You should make them feel like the slothful they are. If you love them, rebuke them. Say that I'm not coming to your aid if you need help because you are making no precautions or preparations to come to my aid or the aid of my children. And these people who put their children in these schools where the teachers are not prepared to protect them are are sinning against God and their children. They are sinning against them. They are exposing them unnecessarily to danger. And I'm not, not even going to get into the area of what they're allowing those teachers to teach their children or the terrible education that those children are receiving. I'm just talking about simple, basic protection. If your teacher were to, in the state of Oregon were to take a child out in a rowboat on the lake without a life preserver on that child, it would be considered negligence. He would be fined. Because even though the boat's not sinking, even though the child is a good swimmer, it's against the law because it is considered negligence. Yet you would take your child and put them in a gun-free zone with all the teachers unarmed, all the faculty unarmed, no way of protecting the child against a crazed, mad killer. 
and you would say that that's okay or even that that's good. That is not good. And there's no way that you're going to make it illegal to buy banana clips or assault rifles and make that danger go away. It's just not going to happen. You say, well, we need to collect all the guns. You can't do it. It won't happen. You're going to need guns to collect the guns. And if somebody has a gun, somebody can steal the guns. And besides, there are so many guns, you can't even find them all. And until you find them all, arm the teachers. Allow the teachers to become armed. I hear people say, I don't know if I would uh, think that these teachers are competent enough to hold uh, and handle a gun. Well, if they can't handle a gun, why do you think they are competent enough to handle your children? Fire their Fire them. <laughs> Get them away from your children. They're, they're, they're not competent people. They're not safe to be around. So get them away from that. Israel allowed their teachers to arm. Teachers with training, which almost all of them have because they've all been in the military. They arm their teachers and the violence stops. Overnight. The violence stops. There was still somebody, a crazed gunman, who just came in shooting. Just shooting away. Killing people. It was a, you know, an Arab fellow who was probably distraught over something and came in just shooting anybody he could get, get in his sights. And a student shot him and stopped it. A student had a gun. Legally had a gun. It was a part-time student, actually. It's just—it's the only thing that makes sense. But yet, somehow or other, to these people, it doesn't make sense. Oh no, no, we can't arm the teachers. Why not? In, in Texas, uh, there's a Herald Independent School District, and there's a lot of other places that are doing this. There's at least half a dozen different states that allow the teachers to arm, even though federal government probably as tick as can be. I know a lot of other people are because it's working. It's working. In Florida, where a student came on was shooting people, somebody went out and got a gun. A vice principal went out and got a gun and stopped it. That should get headlines. He should be getting a medal for breaking the rules, having a gun on campus, even though it was out in his car. I think that's against the rules. But he was able to disarm the guy just by pointing the gun at him. Didn't even have to shoot him. The mere presence of guns makes a difference. Makes a huge difference. But you don't even... You you announce the world, we don't have any guns. We're completely unsafe here. We don't have any way of protecting ourselves. And then you expect this not to happen? You know it's happened. It's happened in places where they have gun control. And yet you keep doing it. And I tell the story of the little girl just at this same period of time... House was broken into in broad daylight. Jimmy opened a door, came in with a gun to rob the house, and the girl ran upstairs. Little girl got her mother's twenty-two, pink twenty-two, put a couple of bullets in it, or one. I think it's only a single shot. She had two bullets. She said, and uh, I saw the interview, and uh, pointed at the guns, and they backed out. 
They got out of there. She didn't have to shoot them. But she was able to shoot them because she had a gun. It's a tool. That's all. Like I say, every assault rifle is also an anti-assault rifle. And you guys who are saying, Oh no, we don't want anybody to have a gun. Cognitive dissonance. You can't see your own lack of courage, your own laziness, your own irresponsibility, and you want to justify that by making everybody else give up their guns. And yet, you are safer in your apartment because somebody in your apartment might have a gun and the criminals don't know if you're one of them. Every one of you are for absolute gun control. Put a sign on your door that says no guns in this apartment. Just helpless victims. You're ready to die for your beliefs, aren't you? You cowards. You lazy cowards. Yeah, Joe Merrick, uh, I guess it was in Mississippi. I've been saying Florida this morning, but it was in Mississippi. He had a forty five out in his car. He's a U.S. Army Reserve commander. And he had that gun in his car, and he went out and got it, and he confronted the armed guy who was just shooting people. And the guy put his guns down, and he took them into captivity. Now, what was <clears throat> another thing? There was a couple other, you know, the guy in Clackamas, I... He was in a gun-free mall, and he just pointed the gun at the guy, and the guy stopped shooting people, ran down the hallway, and shot himself. Uh, Same as the kid in uh, Sandy. As soon as he heard the sirens, he went and shot himself. They went and took their own life. There's there's actually a spiritual element that's going on here. There's a spiritual power that's influencing these decisions to do these things. Both those of you who have disarmed your teachers and your pilots and want to disarm everybody else, there is a spiritual element to this. But let's just keep it on, you probably don't believe in that, so let's just keep it on the psychological element right now of this cognitive dissonance. You cannot see common sense. Basic common sense that works in other places. Like in the schools that are armed. They allow their teachers to become armed. I think there's at least six states that have passed laws that allow that. And that's what you need to do in your states. Personally, what you need to do is get your kids out of those schools until they do. And maybe during that period where you have your kids out of school you'll find out hey this isn't so hard to teach our kids at home and they're actually getting way ahead of the other kids that's what that's what you'll see if you take your kids out of school and start teaching them at home you'll see them progressing faster and faster than the kids that are still in school and then when they go back they'll be way ahead of those other kids if you're even halfway decent parents and you'll say well why am I sending my kids to the school at all And then we can deal with the cognitive dissonance of the fact that you think you're a Christian, yet you're sending your kids to a school that is paid for by benefactors who exercise authority one over the other, which is exactly contrary to what Christ said. But just right now, let's focus on keeping the children safe by getting them out of these gun-free zones 
where they are put in harm's way to prove an agenda that has failed time and time again of disarming the American public. They wouldn't let it happen at Lexington and Concord and you shouldn't have let it happen at your public schools. But you did. And you have to admit that that was a mistake before more children die and do something about it. They're not going to change their policy because you say, well, let's... While we're out there soliciting the vote and trying to get writing letters to our congressmen, we're still going to keep sending our kids to this public school. No. Stop sending your kids to the public school. Get them out of that public school and get them in the home where they should have been all along and teach them there. If, if you can't do it there, find public schools that will take, I mean private schools that will take you, but only private schools that allow their teachers to be armed. Ask them for a list of the teachers. How many teachers are armed? You don't even have to know their name. Just how many teachers are armed and how close are those teachers to the classrooms your children will be in. So, are you ready to do that? Do you have the courage to do that? Do you have the spot to do that? Or are you too lazy to do that? Oh, I can't do that. I've got my job and i got this and i got that. Well, then gather together with other homeschoolers and ask them if they will watch your kid because you don't want them in the public school and just give them a few bucks and then they will start teaching your children for you. They they could take one or two kids, a lot of them, and they would do it and say that I want to work towards homeschooling but I have to go to work. Well, while you're going to work and they're at home teaching your kids, you can give them a few bucks. And then you can actually start paying for your child's education. Well, I already do that with my taxes. No, you don't. I don't know anybody who pays enough property tax to pay for their child's education if they even have one child in school. No, you don't. It's all those people who don't send their kids to uh, school that are paying for your child. And that's what you're doing. You're coveting their goods, forcing them to pay for your child. But anyway, let's get back to this thing. These gun-free zones are death traps for your children. As long as the foolish, irrational, unthinking people are going to continue to promote this failed policy of zero tolerance, there will be more killings. There are lots of reasons to take your children out of public school. That's what it says here in this article, Unarmed and Dangerous. And you can go look up School to Fool at hisholychurch.org under the sermon section, schools.php. And uh, you can find it. Do a search. There's a search engine on everything. And read about how you could actually and why you should actually take your kids out of school. But it says that gun control advocates who took the guns from the school staff are both foolish and complicit in these tragedies. Yeah, you're to blame. I know teachers, personally know teachers, competent to handle weapons, well trained, who are not allowed to take their guns on the campus because of zero tolerance. They would like to. But they're not allowed to because you made these stupid, stupid rules. The blood of these mass murders is equally upon your hands. 
Because you allowed this to take place. You kept them from the means of stopping this carnage and encouraged it by imposing this vacuum of self-defense. And that's where these guys go. They go to these places where they can do evil with impunity. No one in their right minds would allow this to happen. But you're not in your right mind. You're suffering from cognitive dissonance. You have accepted a lie. And in order to justify that lie in your mind, you take up these ridiculous, absolutely foolish policies and defend them as if somehow or other you are righteous because you wouldn't own a gun. You are righteous because you would never shoot anybody. But you still call 911. You still ask the policemen to come and shoot people for you. And take away the bad guys and protect you. You still have armies out there to protect you from foreign invasion. You are fit to be nothing but subjects to dictators. And you should be under dictators that just kill at will. You know, Stalin used to stay up all night making his red lists. Lists of all men, yeah, execute this man, arrest this man, arrest this man, execute this man, execute this man, execute this man. Thousands, thousands of people he sent to their deaths. Because he was paranoid. He was crazy. How can you be a part of such insanity? But you are. You are you are seeking to elect men and give them the kind of power that Stalin had. So that you will be secure. How selfish is that? This You've heard me mention that this cognitive dissonance. Uh, there was actually a psychologist. Uh, I guess he was a psychiatrist. Uh, uh, Festinger. Theory of cognitive dissonance. The principle seeks. Uh, the, the, the individual seeks some sort of consistency in their beliefs. And attitudes in. Uh, one or more situations where two inconsistent ideas attempt to coexist in the same mind. You know, like you, you want to think you are a good person, but you don't care about your neighbor's welfare as much as you care about your own. So then you have to invent arguments that say, oh no, I, and you heard there's a guy, Morgan from England, who's really, and wants to take guns away from everybody. And I, I saw a video the other day where he was interviewing somebody, probably NRA or somewhere, someone who supported private ownership of guns, and he was saying, "You don't care about anybody. You, 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 you don't care about." He was absolutely unreasonable, full of ad hominems, just, just non-intelligent uh, in his arguments, but very vehement, very emotionally vehement, and. Uh, misquoted the guy. The guy said that uh, violent crimes has uh, increased in both Australia and England after the confiscation of guns. And he said, that's an absolute lie. That's an absolute lie. Murders have gone down. That's not what he said. He didn't say murders had gone up. He said violent crimes had gone up. And the guy 
was intelligent enough to notice that, but he doesn't see that. He jumped at the opportunity of saying that murders have gone down. Well, murders with guns have gone down. You know, a lot of people are murdered with baseball bats. I mean, a lot. An amazing number of people have been murdered with baseball bats. But we're not confiscating baseball bats. It doesn't work. Just like uh, how many people die because of alcoholism. But we tried prohibition. And we were able to create the mafia. You know, and organized crime. And gave it a tremendous boost. Because of prohibition. And now we, we don't do it with alcohol, but we do it with drugs. We prohibit drugs, and now we've created a huge underground that makes a fortune, billions of dollars, industry, because drugs are illegal. If drugs are illegal, they would be out of business. They wouldn't be able to make the money that they're making now. And they would have to do something else. But it's too late to go back. I mean, I personally think that they should legalize a lot of these drugs. And they can tax them, like they do cigarettes. I mean, cigarettes are a drug. Alcohol is a drug. I'm not encouraging taxes, but if you're going to have them, might as well have them on those things. But it's a failed policy. Your war on drugs is failing miserably. The only way to stop drugs is to raise up a society that realizes that drugs destroy your ability to make a living. It's destroy your ability to have a happy and normal life. Which brings us to this idea of drugs and these shootings. How many of these shooters are on legally prescribed drugs? How many do you think? You know, 20%? 40%? 50%? How many of these uh, shooters are actually on drugs? 90%? Yeah, it's actually more than 90% of them are on legally prescribed drugs. Isn't that amazing? More than 90% of these shooters are on legally prescribed drugs. Xanax, Ambien, Lovox, Prozac, Paxil, Trazodone, Effexor. It just goes on and on. And it starts often with Ritalin. These are bad things. These drugs drug a part of your mind. We just had a discussion last night. I have a son. I'm I'm extremely dyslexic, and my son is somewhat dyslexic. Has uh, what they call ADD, a very short attention span. Uh, but he says he's he's learned when he was growing up. He learned to control it. Uh, he learned to navigate around it. If he had been on drugs, he would have never dealt with that. He says that. His experiences with the, this is just his personal observation, his experience with those kids that were on these drugs when they were little, have a difficulty in relating with children that age. The age of the children that they knew at the time that they were put on these drugs. They can't, they have difficulty relating with those children. It's like they've never gone through that age period and they don't it's like there's almost a flashback it's like uh, what is it uh, delayed stress syndrome because they did not deal with it in that time frame 
deal with children in that age in that time frame. And now they're awkward and find that difficult. The fact is is that you need to learn to overcome these things like uh, ADD and stuff. But you know what? The, the kids with the short attention span, there's lots of ways to deal with that. It takes patience, takes love, takes sacrifice. There's lots of ways to deal with it. What kind of child, what kind of person is that child going to be when they're older if they deal with that? What kind of child would they be? They'll actually be the some of the most competent people. They're able to juggle multitasks at the same time. That's what he's noticing. So that he can think about more than one thing at one time. But anyway, we'll have to continue this when we return to Keys to the Kingdom on our next show. Till then, God bless. Peace be upon your house. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net. Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Hello, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory and we're going to talk about the Kingdom of God this is the second in a series of shows that talks about unarmed and dangerous. And hopefully in this one we will get to kings and priests and what they are and why it was said in the Bible that we are kings and priests. And what they were trying to impart with to us and how that works out in this whole message of the gospel. Because the truth is most of you are not kings and priests. You don't even know what it means to be kings and priests. And you are actually more the antithesis of kings and priests. And some of the people that I hear saying that particular phrase of being kings and priests are the farthest from being kings and priests. So anyway, but we'll get to that and we'll talk about that. We're going to finish some other ideas of uh, this uh Armed, unarmed and dangerous concept that uh, we espoused in the last show. And uh, we'll see if you can realize some of the problems that have led to this uh, delusion that has brought about the deaths of 
hundreds of children recently uh, in different places of the world because our men were able to come in and kill them and murder them. What was that all about? What what was going on and what brought that into our reality that these innocent children could be mowed down and murdered? Well, the fact is uh, I was playing with the numbers there. I was starting to say, you know, hundreds and some people say, well, there was only so many killed at uh, Sandy Hook uh, a while back and that was uh, one of the nearer uh, events of this type. There have been many of them. You can go online and look up all the ones where children were killed in Norway and in England and Scotland and um, even in Israel. And Israel was having a real serious problem with terrorists coming into the schools and so they simply armed their teachers and it really just about put an end to it. Uh, it still happens, but it stops usually with a bullet in that individual. Uh, and not that I want to kill that individual, but I don't want to see another innocent child killed. I don't want to see them murdered. I don't want to see their mangled bodies. But the reality is, uh, in the last couple of decades, tens of thousands of children have been uh, murdered, blown apart, uh, legs, uh, arms amputated uh, by explosions and by bullets in war-torn areas. This is why we avoid war at almost all costs. You do not want to go to war. People talk... Uh, about uh, 911, 3,000 people died. Almost none of those were children that died in the destruction of the Twin Towers. Many of them were firemen who were going there to save people. But the reality is, is that the wars that ensued by the excuse of weapons of mass destruction, supposedly being in a country of Iraq, which no one has ever really found, and we're never really imposing any real threat to the United States. No connection was ever really made between uh, Saddam Hussein and uh, what happened on 9-1-1. And uh, most advisors were saying there was no reason to even go there, no reason to bomb the infrastructure of the country, yet that's exactly what happened. And hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands... Hundreds of thousands of civilians died as a direct result of that invasion of Iraq by us, by the United States, by the U.S., I should say. Because I didn't invade it. I don't want to have any part of invading it. That's their policy, and they're welcome to it. Is that your policy? I mean, those of you who can vote and make a change in that realm... Is that really what you wanted? And all the other allied countries, those of you in England and uh, Australia and Canada and I don't know, Denmark, I, I don't know, there were a number of different countries that are allied in, in that operation and I couldn't keep track of all of them, but they're all over the world. Are you complicit in that same, those same events? Now, what, what's a church talking about those events? I'm talking about the morality of killing women and children and civilians. World War One, 3% of the casualties were civilians. World War Two, 67% of the casualties were civilians. That's a bad thing. That's an immoral thing. Making war on civilians is even considered immoral according to the United Nations. 
You can't do that. You cannot make war on civilians. And that's why the president at the time of that first Iraqi invasion was told by his own advisors, which is just a matter of record, that there was no value in bombing the infrastructure of the country. Yet it was done. Yet we claim that the country was under a military dictator, Saddam Hussein. And yet we're going to punish the people for 911 and punish the children. Of those people, because of an event at 911, they couldn't even tie Saddam Hussein to? That's crazy. That's insane. And that's what I'm concerned with, is your insanity. I'm concerned with your cognitive dissonance, your inability to look at reality and determine what is really going on there. You can have whatever public policy you want. You're going to go do it anyway. You're not going to listen to me. But what what is going on in your minds that allows you to be so completely deceived as to think that something that is bad is good? That killing, killing children by the hundreds of thousands is good. And then being appalled at the 20 or 30 or 40 children that might be killed in your own country and not see the simple solution to prevent that from happening. How come you can't come to these clear perceptions? How come you think that the fact that somebody can buy a banana clip in Montana has has anything to do with the lack of safety of your children when you put them in a school that has a policy of gun-free zone, which is a failed policy and has brought about the death and destruction of individual after individual in this country because of the fact that the people at the schools have no means to protect themselves against the invasion of a crazed maniac because you took it away from them. So that was that has been the this theme of unarmed and dangerous. You are a danger to your children because you are not armed. You are a danger to your neighbor because you will not stand and Take the chances that are that come to an individual when they stand up and try to protect their neighbor. I mean, you could be sued. That's another fear. Terrible fear of being sued if you stand up to protect your neighbor. And that's that's a bad deal. And that's what happened. And now let's let's talk a little bit about the spiritual significance of taking drugs. Uh, Ritalin and Prozac and Luxol, Lovex and all these different uh, drugs. I, I deal with a lot of people over my life that have gone on those drugs and have taken those drugs. And I can stand back as an observer and tell you that they often lead, and it says it actually on the warning labels, that it can lead to suicidal thoughts. And I know people that have those suicidal thoughts that are on those drugs they get they're up and they're okay and then all of a sudden they get to a point where you, you know you can't shut them up you can't, they they're they're hyper and then they get to a point where they feel like driving into a tree and killing themselves and it's usually during withdrawal because they're addicted to a drug a psychotropic drug these psychotropic drugs are doing tremendous harm. People say, oh, well, we need my drugs. We need my drugs. Is there an alternative? 
you need to start looking for that. I'm not a medical doctor, so I and I don't play one on TV, but I also am not going to benefit by you drugging yourselves. And almost all of these kids who do these terrible things are drugged. They are on these prescription drugs. And some people say, oh, well, no, he did this, but he was actually going off the drug when he did it, so it wasn't the drug. It's called withdrawal. Hello? And that's when they have the greatest fits of depression and anxiety and the feeling of suicide. Is when they're, they, they can't handle sobriety. They can't handle not being on the drug. And so everything kind of snowballs when you get to that point. And your continued use of these drugs is going to continue to make this a reality. It's going to continue to happen. So you need to arm your teachers. And you need to get your kids out of school if they refuse to do that. You should get them out anyway. But I'm trying to give you some kind... Because of this cognitive dissonance where you cannot see the obvious, I'm giving you a chance to make at least a small step towards common sense. It does not make any sense to put your kids in those schools. To allow your nieces and nephews to be in those schools. And expose them to the kind of danger that this gun-free zone. And they would like to make the entire United States a gun-free zone. And so that an entire massive military force can come in here and round up anybody who they call dissidents and put them into concentration camps or shoot them outright. Now I have a, I have a whole series uh, on uh, Do Christians Have a Right to Self-Defense and you can read it. I don't put it on our website so you have to go to newsoftheviews.com and look up Brother Gregory. And they got a whole list of articles that they have published. And I'm going to continue to publish more of those and I'm going to continue to publish the one on Unarmed and Dangerous. And But I said that we were going to connect this somehow or other to um, our We Kings and Priests. And the verses that you see that phrase, kings and priests, and of course there were no kings in Israel if you go back in the uh, Old Testament. There were no kings in Israel because really they were all kings. They, they mean no central leader because they were all kings. But in Revelations 1, six and in Revelations 5.10 we see this phrase of kings and priests and it says, And hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So that was kind of a prayer where we he made us kings and priests. But he didn't necessarily make you king and priest because you may not be a king and priest. He made those that were faithful unto him kings and priests. But that may not include you. And we're going to talk about that mostly in the second half of the show. But I wanted you to at least know where we're going to take this. But in order to get there, I'm going to take you step by step so that it's not so overwhelming. And we allow that cognitive dissonance to kind of fade away and let go of the idea of of what you have become uh, but introduce it in what such a way that you can accept the truth and you can turn around. So you can't be free from cognitive dissonance until you admit 
that something you have accepted as true is not true. You see, because that what that what happens is you have two ideas in your head that you're trying to hold simultaneous, and one of them is not true. They conflict with each other. So you have to make up all. Well, I don't have guns because guns are bad. I don't have any guns because guns kill people. I don't have uh, any guns because that's not my job. I don't have any guns because there is no reason for. You know, and the, the excuses just go on and on. The reason you don't have guns, whatever it is, doesn't matter. The fact is, is, the fact that you don't have guns, policemen have to carry guns. In England, when everybody owned a gun, the policemen didn't have to carry guns. Now the policeman has to carry guns. It's bad enough that you have to put him in the most dangerous pot of town as quickly as possible with a million dollars worth of transportation and communications equipment, which is what I've always described the police job as. That the idea is to get this man, who is a husband and father, to the most dangerous spot of town as fast as possible. That's his job description. And then not only do you put him there in harm's way, you refuse to back him up. And to the point where he is actually afraid to have you back him up because you don't know what you're doing. Used to be if there was a criminal, people said, thief, thief. Everybody came out to do something about it. Now they don't do that. The reason why is because you're not the government of the people, for the people, and by the people anymore. You're the government of, you're the servants of the government, of the people, for the people, and by the people. You're the human resources. You're the ones who they extract funds from in order to pay for their armies and their police and their fire departments. Because you won't come and put the fire out yourself. You won't come and fight the criminals yourself and arrest the criminals yourself. You won't back up your public servants. And so therefore, you become servants. You become human resources. That's the way it works. If you won't do the job and you delegate somebody else to do the job and you give him the power to collect the money that it's going to cost to do the job, then you're a slave. You're back in Egypt again. You're not being responsible. You're not being a king and priest. You're not a king and priest unless you're taking care of the social welfare of your society through faith, hope, and charity. That means unless you're contributing to the welfare of others, you're not a king and you're not a priest. And I'm talking about total welfare of others. I'm not talking about token welfare. That's what it takes to be a king and priest. And not a king to rule over others, but you, you live by faith, hope, and charity. You have to take care of the needs of others through faith, hope, and charity. You can't do it by giving power to men who call themselves benefactors, but exercise authority. They're your king. They're your priest. That is your religion. That is how you take care of the needy in your society. That is what it's just impure religion because you go to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. So therefore you are not kings and priests. And we'll read the context of those quotes uh, a little bit later. But I wanted you to understand the reason you need to be armed to keep your children safe and your neighbors safe. Why you need to go out and if you have no gun or you have no sword, sell your coat if it's necessary to get one. And learn how to use it safely. Learn how to keep that gun secure so that it's safe. 
I mean, I have a bunch of sharp knives. Because we just butchered a cow here. And they're all washed and they're over there on the wood cook stove. Uh, and they've dried out. And uh, we're going to have to gather them up by the time the grandkids come. And put them away in a safe place. Out in the shop. Because kids pick up sharp things and they're sharp. And we don't leave those sharp things laying around for them to hurt themselves on. And, uh, you know, when I have my granddaughter cut up olives for the pizza, I don't give her a sharp, razor-sharp knife. <laughs> I give her a dull paring knife. <laughs> and she learns to use that. Because I don't want her to have that sharp knife. It'd be dangerous for her to have it. She's not ready for it. And it's the same way with guns. So you want to learn how to use them safely. Why do you want to learn how to use them safely? Is so that you can be a benefit to those around you. Protect them. It's a tool. Can you do that? This is this is so simple. You know, this whole idea of uh, loving your neighbor as yourself means that you actually have to do something. And one of the things your neighbor may need at some time or another is someone to protect them from unwarranted usurpations, to protect them against the thievery and criminals of society. The insane and the wicked. You know, one of the the rules that Moses said is that on your sword, because he already knew you had a sword because you had to protect your neighbor. Everybody in Israel was a policeman. Everybody had to tend to the weightier matters of law, judgment, mercy, and faith. You had to be there to protect your neighbor. You had to be a part of the hue and cry of your society. You had to be a part of the welfare system of your society. You paid into it, but not with some sort of statutory regulation as to how much to pay. Yeah, tithe. But you tithe to them according to their service and according to their need. If there was a greater need, you gave more. But you chose who was going to receive those funds. And you governed him... By saying, if you don't do a good job, I'm not giving to you next week. He was given special exclusions, this Levite minister. Because he was supposed to be taking care of the needs of your society. I was reading the other day about the Amish have an exemption written into the new health bill. Where they don't, they're not a part of that system. Why? Because they have their own system. You say, I don't want to be a part of that system, but I don't want to have my own system. Well, Christ gave you a system, and it was called the church. The ecclesia, those men who came out of the system or excluded from the system, who were separate from the system, and they would take care of health, education, and welfare. They would take care of the needy of your society. But they did it by not exercising authority one over the other, but through faith, hope, and charity. That is Christianity. What you're doing in calling Christianity is not. Therefore, there is a cognitive dissonance. You, you, what you are doing does not match up with what Christ said to do. Therefore, you cannot, by simple rationale, be a Christian because you have not obeyed what he said to do. You're doing contrary to what he said to do. You're actually making his word to none effect. You are not sacrificing yourself daily 
on his behalf like the early Christians. So therefore you have not been saved. You can't be saved. You won't be saved until you repent, turn around, and start doing it the way Christ said to do it. Now you won't do it perfectly. And God will run out and meet you halfway and help you with it. But you have to at least have the basics down of not coveting your neighbor's goods or forcing your neighbors to contribute to your welfare. The system of social welfare that you have created is identical to that of Herod that made the word of God to none effect. And you know it will fail. It is literally the unrighteous mammon. That system is the unrighteous mammon. Now, mammon means entrusted wealth. It doesn't mean money. And what you have done is entrusted your wealth and promised to pay into a system that is going to fail. They tell you it's going to fail. I don't have to tell you. They say that it will be bankrupt. They tell you that. I'm not making it up. But you're dependent on a system you know will going to fail. That's the unrighteous mammon. Christ says, go ahead, be friends with the unrighteous mammon. Pay into it. But be honorable in your handling of it, because then you will be fit for more righteous habitations when it fails. And it will fail. In the meantime, repent, turn around, try to start finding ways to take care of the needs of your society by faith, hope, and charity. This is why you congregate together. This is what the first century church was doing. I got up real early this morning and did an extra show, a Christmas show. And we talk about some of this in the Christmas show. And I will upload that after I get all the tags put into it and edit it out and we'll put it up and it will be available on, on this for this station if they want to air it near Christmas and uh, it will be available on the other stations that play our shows. And it's a unique look at Christmas. <laughs> I can assure you it's a unique look. But we're taking a unique look at Christianity. Christianity was a social welfare system. It was other things as well. But its social welfare was based on faith, hope, and charity. It wasn't just feeding the homeless and the fatherless. It wasn't just that. Everybody who's homeless, some of them should be homeless. They're lazy. They're selfish. They've robbed other people for years. They've taken advantage of other people for years. And now they're feeling the sting of that. They've driven everybody away from them. And now they're feeling the sting of it. And you're saying, oh, well, I want to make them feel comfortable in their foolishness. You have to have discretionary charity. There are those that need help and those that need to not be helped. Because unless they're not helped, they're they're going to continue to be slothful. Now I give examples in the the in the uh, article on uh, unarmed and dangerous of what this cognitive dissonance is. And one of the ideas that people have in their head is they want to be safe. That's reasonable. They want to feel secure. That's reasonable. They actually want to be secure. 
but a lot of times feeling secure is all they really need. You know, that's what the alcoholic wants. He just wants to feel good. He doesn't want to be good. And alcohol makes him feel good. Same way with the drug addict. The drug addict who is the drug addict of illegal drugs and the drug addict who is the addict of legal drugs that are prescribed by a doctor. He's still an addict. They want to do their own thing, but they don't want to appear selfish. They still want to be admired by others as if they are good and giving and righteous people. They want people to think that of themselves. The conflict comes is that to be righteous, a person has to care about love their neighbor as themselves, and they don't really do that. Uh, that, uh, that would mean this conflict comes because you have to be willing to sacrifice yourself, your time, even your money and your energy for the welfare of others. The true welfare of others. Not just giving to anybody, but to those who have real needs. They need a hand up. Not just a hand out. In order to conceal this conflict between the fact that they want to be admired and thought of as good people, but they don't actually want to take the time to be good people, they have to do things like go to church and have ministers tell them, oh, you're saved. You don't have to do anything. You're saved. Because you believe in Jesus and you showed up at my church. You're saved. You're okay. Don't worry about it. You don't have to do anything. That's what they wanted to hear. That church makes them feel good. They tell me I'm good even though I can go do my own thing. To conceal this obvious truth of this conflict, conflict such as the fact that uh, you do not need to be you don't want to be bothered with having to defend your neighbor. You don't you don't you're afraid of having the means by which you can actually come to your neighbor's aid. You know, when you hear screams out in the hallway or out in the streets, you shut your shades and you peek out. You don't want to get involved. You're a lazy coward and you don't want to admit that. So you have to come up with being a lazy, selfish coward who actually don't want to do righteousness by others, who want to just go watch TV and do their own thing. You have to make up all these mental excuses. It's not my job. It's the job of the police. Uh, or guns are bad. Or guns are dangerous. Or guns promote crime. And so therefore I don't want to have any guns and I don't want and that's why I don't have and I don't have a gun, so therefore I can't come to your aid when you're being robbed or murdered or raped. You know, because I you know, I believe in gun control. And so therefore I don't you don't believe in controlling a gun. <laughs> you don't even believe in having one. You don't believe in taking care of your neighbor. You say that's somebody else's job. You are fit to be under a tyrant. You should be under a tyrant. You're an evil person. You're a wicked person. And you don't want to admit it. So you have to gather together with all these other guys who give you the, the, the chant that you're okay. And you're headed for destruction. And your whole society is headed for destruction. And those who can see this need to repent, turn around, and go the other way. And that's what we're going to talk about in the second half of the show is the other way. What that looks like. What it means to be kings and priests. And how to become those kings and priests that Christ wanted us to be.
Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're talking about kings and priests and what that means and how you have fallen away from the understanding of that or have never even been taught it. And I think some of you, those of you who are willing to hear this hard message, probably have wanted to be kings and priests and have some semblance of that in your lives. And when you begin to realize what I'm talking about, you're going to kind of beat yourself up that you haven't done it more than you than you have. That's okay. This is an opportunity to change, to turn around, to repent, to do things this other way. And that's what we need to do is repent. And none of us have done things exactly the way we should have. And I was reading that you know, at least the one verse in, in uh, Revelations 1.6. And that's pretty close to the beginning of that chapter, so we can probably go over that a little bit here so that you uh, get a better picture of what's the context of this statement. And it talks about revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John, meaning John the Baptist. Or actually, excuse me, uh, not John the Baptist, but John the Apostle, uh, who bear record of the word of God. And of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And of all things that he saw. Blessed is he that readeth. And they that hear the word of this prophecy. And keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. He's not talking about a long time away. But he says the time is at hand. John, to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. In other words, what was this washed in his blood? Now, there's there's many layers to it. But one of the things, the people had gone back into bondage through the baptism of Herod. And they were now back in the bondage of Egypt. And they were having this authority exercise over them. And they were being forced to pay into a Corbin system uh, and that was also a Corby system of statutory labor. And you probably don't follow all that, but you'll just have to go and study the covenants of the gods. Uh, it's free online and read uh, and look up some of those words, Corby, C-O-R-V-E-E, and, and Corbin, C-O-R-B-A-N, which is also Q-O-R-B-A-N. But anyway... These are systems and words that you need to understand. But basically what it was, was that uh, they had created a social welfare system that made the word of God to none effect. Because it was based on force once you signed up. And that has a tendency to divide the people so that they don't care about their neighbor as much as they need to. 
and certainly don't care about their neighbor as much as they care about themselves because they have a guaranteed benefit that if they have a need, society will provide that benefit. And if people don't want to pay in, there are people who will exercise authority and force them to pay in. This is absolutely contrary to what Christ was preaching. This is not the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of men. And Christ was saying, no, you want to have the kingdom of God and seek that. That means that if you have a need, your neighbor will supply it by faith, hope, and charity. Faith in God. Faith in the ways of God. Willing to sacrifice in the hopes of something. And that is the nature of Christianity. That is not what Christians are doing today. Some rare places you will find Christians doing that, but most places you will not. So anyway, in that verse 5, it says, And from Jesus Christ, Jesus the Anointed, Jesus the Messiah, that's what that's saying, because that Christ word is Messiah, anointed, all meaning the same, who is the King, who is the faithful witness, because he did exactly, he sacrificed himself for others, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that beloved us and washed us from our sins in his blood. If you got the baptism of Christ, you were cast out of the system of the world. And now you were able to opt out of that system, but you had to opt into a new system, which we call the kingdom of God, and is identified by the ministers of his called out ones, who went from house to house, dividing not only the word, but uh, dividing the bread, making sure that everybody had enough and where everybody was taken care of. And they also had this power of healing because they were doing what Christ said. But basically what was important to understand is that these people, whole life was changed and turned around. They no longer had access to the welfare of Herod or Rome or any of these, Corinth or any of these other countries. They had access to the welfare that was provided to them by other people who cared about them as much as they cared about themselves. And they did it through faith, hope, and charity. And so he says, and hath made us kings and priests because he liberated them, physically liberated them from the system of Corban that had brought them back into bondage. He warned that you would be again entangled in the elements of this constitutional order or system of government and that you should try to stand fast in this liberty where he has set you free because it is a sin to pray to those men of the earth, those kings of the earth, those fathers of the earth, who exercise authority one over the other. Suddenly in modern Christendom, it's not a sin anymore. It's okay to collect that welfare, to collect uh, that money from these benefactors who exercise authority. It was not okay with Christ. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindred of the earth shall wail because of him, even so. Amen. So those who pierced him were going to actually see him coming. So anyway, now you can get into all kinds of theology and we'll get distracted with that. But anyway, he talks about, in that verse 6, about us being kings and priests. He has made us kings and priests. Because he is a king who is not going to exercise authority one over the other, but a king that actually serves. 
The apostles were public servants of a government set up by Christ that did not exercise authority, that allowed you to be ruled by God in your hearts and minds. If you had to pay taxes to them, it was up to you to make that choice. They could not exercise authority. This is one form of government. This was the church government. It operated by faith, open charity. You have access to set up a system like that today. It is absolutely legal in almost every country of the world. I say almost because I haven't checked them all, but most countries. It is absolutely legal to set up a separate system to take care of your health your education and welfare by faith, hope, and charity alone. You can do that. But you have to have the will to do that. And you actually have to do it. You don't have to become Amish. You don't have to wear suspenders. You don't have to grow a beard. You don't have to wear a funny hat. You don't have to wear those funny clothes. But you have to learn to take care of the needy of your society by faith, hope, and charity. What do I mean by society? The church is a society. It is established for his purposes to take care of the needy of his society by faith, hope, and charity alone. That is what it is. So that when you get down to Revelations 5.10 and it says, And has made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. You will not unless you repent and start doing what Christ said, which is to love one another. And that's what kings and priests are supposed to do. And this is what he has been explaining. So if we go back uh, and you go back, almost every sentence in this chapter 5 begins with the word and. And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside sealed with seven seals. Remember the other was talking about seven churches. And uh, verse 2. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the book and to, who, to loose the seal thereof. Who is worthy? With a loud voice. Proclaiming, who is worthy? Are you worthy? And no man in heaven, nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And, another next verse, And I wept much, because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereupon. Verse 5, And one of the elders said unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. Verse 6, And I believe, excuse me, and I beheld, And lo, in the midst of the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent forth into all the earth. 
let's not get carried away with the symbolism here, but at least we know there was a lamb that had been as if slain. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. Now we're talking about serious power here, spiritual power here. I mean, we're talking about really big angels, really big angels able to do this. Okay, and play these harps, play these harps. What does that mean? And they sung a new song, and, verse 9, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred, and tongue, and people, and nations. This is available today. This is available today. Hear me. But you must repent and turn around. And become those kings and priests. Number 10. And hath made us unto our God kings and priests. And we shall reign on earth. Who's the kings and priests? Those seven. Who are singing the song. Singing what song? It's actually the song of Moses. And the song of the Lamb. The song of sacrifice, of service. Is that the song you're singing? Then you're not a king and priest. If it's not, if you're not serving in your congregation the needs of the other members of your congregation, then you're not a king and you're not a priest and you're not a part of this salvation. And I believe and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the numbers of them that was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strengthen and honor and glory and blessing. That was the only verse that didn't begin with and. But here's another one. 13. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. Anyway, and the four beasts said, Amen. So the beast said, Amen. So anyway, do you say, Amen? Are you going to live that life of sacrifice according to the character of Christ? Are you going to sing the song of Moses who gave up power 
the song of the Lamb who gave up power, that others may have a choice to do righteousness. Are you going to do righteousness whether they choose to or not? Are you going to take care of the needy of your society through faith, hope, and charity? Or are you going to be entangled again in the elements of the world? This is the choice that you have before you. People say, oh, I signed up for the congregation of records, so therefore I am who I say I am. No, you are who you say you are because you are doing what such men should be doing. And unless I have the testimony of the ministers, I'm not going to accept the fact that you say you have done rightly. I established it in my mind by two or more witnesses. Who will bear witness to your righteousness? Who will bear witness to the song you sing? Are you taking care of the needs? <coughs> Excuse me. If you're a king and priest, then you cannot be praying to other kings. Otherwise, you become a subject. You need to be homeschooling, home health, home industry. This is where you are headed. Now, you can't change that overnight. Turning around is going to take some time. But that's what the kings and priests are doing. What is the priest? Let's take a look at some of these words. What What is the word in the Greek for king and priest? Now, he preached the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God, and that's what we were supposed to be seeking. And that word king in, uh, in the Greek is basileus. And uh, in the uh, Greek for the word priest is eros. And what do these words mean? And what, what is the function of the priest? Most people don't know. They don't understand. I mean, we change the definition of words that we've talked before about the unicorn that's mentioned in the Bible. And people say, oh, well, where's the unicorn? Because the Bible talks about unicorns. And we've never found a single fossil of a unicorn, except for the fact that the word back, even in 1928, the word unicorn meant a rhinoceros. It didn't mean, I mean, even in the Latin uh, Bible, uh, it, it it actually uses the word rhinoceros and unicornus to describe these creatures that they translate into unicorn. And if you go back even to, uh, like I say, to 1828, that is the definition of a unicorn. It had nothing to do with a mythical horse with a horn sticking out. That's something that's modern. So now when we say unicorn, you think that, but that's not what the word meant at the time. So when we say the word priest, you think what? When we think that you're kings and priests, you think what? What What are you thinking? It doesn't matter what you're thinking. It matters what the author meant. So we look at that Greek word, uh, Basilius. is always translated king in the Bible. Always translated king in, in the English text. In one form or another. But the word is from the Greek word basis, which means foot, and is from the word, uh, uh, it's kind of B-A-I-N-O, which means to walk. So how does the king have to do with the foot and to walk? What, what does the word really mean? You know, do you have the right to decide where your feet go? 
when I was a young man, the Vietnam was going on and they drafted me. And they said, my feet are going to Vietnam. That's what it said. My feet were going to Vietnam. Actually, though, God said, no, they're not. <laughs> God spared me of having to go to Vietnam. As a matter of fact, God said, no, you can't even have him. And I want you to spit him out. And then they did. <laughs> they let me go. And uh, as if I had never been in the army, which was fine with me at the time. But I didn't have to do it. And I didn't make it happen. But God made it happen because I was willing to walk a little bit in his ways. If you would walk a little bit in his ways, you would see things changing and turning around. But you can't do it for profit. You have to do it for righteousness sake. So, what about this uh, word that they translate priest? There's an interesting word. I mean, we have no hierarchy, right? There's no hierarchy uh, so to speak, at least as we understand hierarchy, and that's the actual word there that we're seeing. Is this, uh, uh, but not the archy part of the word, just the higher part of the word. And uh, we we don't understand how that works. Uh, we don't understand what that word actually means. Uh, the, the word hierarchy has two words in it. Archie has to do with being a ruler. Not a leader, but a ruler. Someone who can exercise authority. And Christ said, you are not to be like the kings of the other nations. The princes of the other nations who exercise authority. Who are Archie. But he didn't say you weren't higher. That you weren't priests. And that you didn't have a job. You just can't. You know, these jobs of kings and priests... That's what they are, jobs. There's something you have to do. Something you have to be a part of. It requires sacrifice on your part to be king and priest. So if you're in a congregation where you are king and priest and you're congregating with other kings and priests, if they have needs, will you come to their aid? Do you have an, an alliance of love where you'll come to their aid? Are you... Are you supporting them? You have no children, so you don't have to give anything to education, right? You don't have any children. Are you helping them homeschool? Are you working diligently to help them homeschool? Are you taking care of the elderly in pure religion? Are you taking care of the widows and orphans of your congregation in pure religion? If you are not, then you're not a king and priest. And you're not practicing pure religion, and you don't know Christ, and you are not saved. Because you have rejected the ways of Christ. You can't reject the ways of Christ and tell me you're following Christ. It doesn't work that way. What are you doing? What do you think you're doing? Are you offering sacrifice? That's what that word means. Harris, a priest, offering sacrifice. Is that what you do? Do you sacrifice? Do you give up to help others so that they can be homeschooled? So they don't have to put their kids in these dangerous schools? That teach their children lies and expose them to mass murderers with unprotected, uh, locked-in classrooms? Do you allow that? 
Are you helping them homeschool, helping them privately educate their children so that they don't have to go to the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other? That's going to take a minimum of your tithe. A minimum of your tithe. Are you seeking out those people who would follow the ways of Christ if someone would show them? Do you, is that is your minister able to work full time because you give a tenth of everything you earn to your minister so that he can work full time diligent? Now, if he's not doing the job, don't give him a tithe. That's your right. But if he's willing to work to seek out those who were willing also to be priests and kings, and he is working to bring them together, then you should be supporting him in his effort. So that he can spend full time. We have enough guys that are working full time at one job and full time at another. You need to repent before you can become kings and priests. You need to become like Christ and sacrifice accordingly. And until you do, we'll have to see you next week or on the next show of Keys of the Kingdom. Till then, peace on your house and God be with you. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www dot his holy church dot net